Good morning. Merry Christmas. Again, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody up in the balcony. Good to see you guys. <clears throat> we are going to keep the kids here in service for just a little bit. I promise, parents, we have a short message. It's brief. Don't worry. I've got you in mind. Um, one of my favorite books written on Advent is from uh, Episcopal priest from Fleming Rutledge. Uh, and in her book, she writes this. She says, the entire thrust of this season at the end of the church year is designed to bring us face to face with reality. Reality about sin and death, reality about the human race, reality about God. Something ultimate has entered our world, something or someone that calls us to attention, calls us out of our daily preoccupations and our routine points of view. That is what this season is, with its special biblical readings, is designed to reveal. This time of year that we find ourselves in, over the last four weeks, as we have reflected on each of the candles of Advent, it is designed to call us to attention, to call us away from the busyness and the preoccupation and the noise of our lives and to pay attention to something or to someone that is ultimate. Advent is a sign that is pointing us beyond ourselves to God. And there is a great tradition throughout the history of humanity of missing what God is up to at any given moment. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, what we commonly call the Old Testament, God's people missed him again and again. God would do signs and wonders before them. It would catch their attention for a moment and they would immediately forget. He would send them prophets, those who spoke on behalf of God to people, but they would not listen to them. And of course, in the story of Christmas that we are celebrating this morning, God's people missed Jesus at his first coming. As humans, we are bad at paying attention. We miss the signs of what God is doing all the time. I am uh, 37 years old, and I think that I am one of the last people on earth to know what it's like to try to find my way around the world without a smartphone. Um, <clears throat> When I turned 16 years old uh, and I got my driver's license, my dad gave me a Thomas Guide. How many of you guys remember the Thomas Guide books? Yeah. Um, how, how many like stubborn dads are out there that still have a Rand McNally map in their glove compartment just for when the world ends and we have no way of knowing how to get around? And the Thomas Guide, you know, we, you look up the address in the back index and then you flip through pages and you find where you're going on the grid and then invariably as you're driving you have to pay, flip to like 75 pages later to pick up where the page ran out and, and it was just so frustrating. But that was what we had to do. Like that in the olden times, like in 2009, we had to do that. And, and as you would drive, whether you had a Thomas Guide or a Rand McNally map or printed out pages from MapQuest, you had to pay attention for the signs. Signs tell us what to do and where we are going. They show us where we are. They orient us. And biblically speaking, signs are meant to reorient us back to God. And this brings us to one of the strangest signs of all, a sign at the heart of the Christmas story, this very strange prophecy that we read about in Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to a test. 
Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Now, if you've spent much time around church world in your life, no doubt you recognize the middle snippet of that passage. It gets a lot of attention at Christmas time. That therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. But what doesn't happen very often during the Christmas season is actually reading that prophecy in context. It is such a bizarre passage of scripture. Who is Ahaz? What are these two kingdoms? Who is eating curds and honey? And at what age are you supposed to do that? According to pediatricians, it's not when they're a baby. It's like three or something like that. Now, Ahaz, he was the king of the southern kingdom of Israel, what we call Judah. And, um, and at this time, the king of the northern kingdom had allied himself with all of the surrounding nations and was threatening to come against Judah to destroy the southern kingdom. And so Ahaz, along with Judah, is in big trouble. So the prophet Isaiah shows up to this king and he says, I've got good news. God is going to deliver you from your enemies. But Ahaz doesn't believe him. Ahaz doubts that, that God is really going to save them. And so Isaiah tells Ahaz, well, then ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. Ask him whatever it is that you want for him to show you that he is not going to abandon you. But Ahaz refuses, and so Isaiah tells him this now famous prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Which is a bizarre sign, isn't it? Like, what kind of sign is that? Noah got a rainbow, and he also got uh, a dove with sprouted branch. Uh, Aaron, he got a staff that sprouted leaves overnight. Moses got a burning bush. The people of Israel got a cloud by day and a fire by night. And Ahaz gets maybe the strangest sign of all, a helpless baby. Not an army of angels, not chariots that are on fire, not a lightning storm to take out the opposing enemy. No, a young woman would give birth to a child and his name would be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that before the child ate solid food, God would bring deliverance to Judah from their enemies. The promise of God was coming. The promise of deliverance against all of the nation's threats was coming, and it would be a baby called Emmanuel. The baby's name would be God is with us. And the way that biblical prophecy works is that it's not just a one-and-done kind of message from God. Prophecies uh, don't, off, don't have a single fulfillment. They're often fulfilled over and over again until they reach their final fulfillment in the person of Jesus. And so this prophecy from Ahaz, it would find its first fulfillment in his lifetime. Shortly after this, there was a baby that was born that confirmed the prophecy. But then it finds its ultimate fulfillment 700 years later. In this prophecy to Ahaz, God is pointing his people to a time in the future 
when their truest deliverance was going to come. And so 700 years after Isaiah gives this prophecy, a messenger from God, this time not a prophet, but an angel, appears to a group of shepherds out in a field. And the angel says this to them. He says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So an angel shows up, like, pu like pulls back the curtain of heaven, breaks through, and reveals himself. And he, he comes with an announcement. There is good news of great joy for everyone, a Savior, a Deliverer, has arrived. And see, at this time, Israel was no longer threatened and surrounded by enemies. Israel was occupied by its enemy, the strongest enemy, the strongest empire in the world's history up to that point, the Roman Empire. And the announcement comes, a savior is here, and here is your sign. It's a baby. Not a tank, not artillery, a helpless baby. A virgin conceived a son, and this time Emmanuel would be called Jesus, which in Hebrew means deliverer, or God saves. And this deliverer is arriving in the least expected of places, at the least expected of ways. And I think this asks a question for us. Could it be that the sign that we, that we need isn't one that flashes in the sky, or shakes the ground, or shouts from heaven, but rather comes in the smallest and weakest of places in our lives. I think it's worth paying attention to every year when we come to the season, how small, how unspectacular, and how hidden this sign actually is. It's a baby that is born in obscurity. The only people who see this sign are shepherds and some mystics from the East. And we naturally assume that God's salvation should have come through a big, spectacular, public event. But the nature of God's kingdom is in the hidden and the secret. It's a small mustard seed that's planted in the ground. It is like yeast hidden in some dough working through a batch. And this is the gospel. This is our good news of great joy. Why? Because this sign shows us that God is with us, not in our strength, but in our weakness. He's with us in the places where we feel hidden and vulnerable and overlooked. That is exactly where God shows up. Where you are not impressive or capable, it is in those places that God is Emmanuel. Because he came, because that is exactly how he came to us. Not in the halls of power, but among the animals in a stable. In his book, Secrets in the Dark, Frederick Buechner wrote this. Those who believe in God can never, in a way, be sure of him again. Once they have seen him in a stable, they can never be sure where he will appear, or to what lengths he will go, or to what ludicrous, ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of humankind. If holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart. 
because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong, and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. What God wants to say to us is that he doesn't meet us in our strength or our impressiveness. He shows up for us in our weakness. That weakness and vulnerability aren't problems to be fixed or mitigated. They are actually the highway, the, the road, the method of the kingdom of God. The sign of your deliverance in your life from whatever it is that you are facing is found in this tiny infant laying in a manger. Will you accept him this morning? Will you humbly join him in the weak and the hidden place? This morning is a sign for us. We are about to light the Christ candle, which is the white candle in the middle of the wreath here, to remember that our salvation has come in Jesus. And you may be here this morning unsure what this means for you. The lighting of the candles is another sign that is pointing you, calling you to receive the gift of salvation through Jesus' death and his resurrection. Salvation doesn't come through our effort or impressiveness. Salvation doesn't come through us mustering up enough strength to obey certain rules or or confess or believe like certain particular doctrines or anything. It is all grace. It is a gift. So would you like, if you would like to accept his gift of salvation today, we would love to pray with you. I will be up front here after we light our candles and we sing, and I would love to talk with you if you have any questions about why this baby in a manger is so important.